this is about as heavy a content of a sermon as I am ever going to preach. I was reading a Gallup poll that came out in 2016, still fairly new, that said that 80% of Americans still believe in God. Uh, three out of every four Americans still believe in heaven. But then the number of people who believe in hell is much less. And the number of people who believe in Satan or the devil is much less. It's almost 50%. And I want to tell us that as a culture, uh, and sometimes even within the church, and there's a bird flying around this morning. I don't know. Uh, I watched him fly in. He was very nice. He's been very polite. Uh, we did cover the communion table, so he wouldn't grace us with a gift on that. Uh, but just be aware of it. If he lands on your shoulder, you have magic powers, and we all need to get to know you. Uh, we are, as a culture, uh, as a city, and sometimes even as a church, very deceived. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, can I take my phone? Is that okay? Uh, if you talk about following Jesus, people are like, man, that's nice. That sounds nice. Uh, we have friends in Boston who, when we say we follow Jesus, they look at us like we follow, like that we believe in unicorns and leprechauns. Like, but they're like, that's nice. Good for you. You believe in Jesus. That's great. If you start talking about sin and being born again, or you start talking about heaven and hell in this city, you begin to see people who don't know what to do with that, and they start slowly backing away. You know what I mean? Like, that makes me a little uncomfortable. If you start talking about Satan and demons and an evil kingdom, uh, they will look at you and almost just tell you you're nuts. I mean, you're nuts. Like, that makes us really uncomfortable as a culture. And so people would say, well, God's okay. Heaven, sure. I have friends who believe in heaven. They literally believe every person ever made goes to heaven. And uh, I was talking with a friend the other day, and she was saying, yeah, everybody goes to heaven. I was like, really? How do they all get in? She said, oh, because everybody loves at least once in their life, and heaven is a place where love is. I was like, cool. So Adolf Hitler. And uh, she was like, yeah. I was like, so you're going to have dinner in heaven with Adolf Hitler. And she began to see sort of the intellectual incompatibility of what she had come to believe. Every, most people believe in heaven. But the idea of Satan causes a lot of questions for us. Even in the church, we don't fully know all the time what to do with that because it makes us uncomfortable. And a lot of people just think it's easier to deny that Satan exists or he exists in the abstract or he exists in hell. But like in our neighborhood, ugh, that makes us really, and in our city and in our home, makes us really nervous. And so it's just easier to deny uh, he exists than to deal with him. But what if denial is the number one trick to trip us up? Like, if I wanted to steal your grandma's jewelry, my first goal would be to get her jewelry. My second goal would be to convince you that I was nice enough and wasn't going to steal her jewelry to then get close enough to steal her jewelry. We saw this week in the news, uh, the jewel, like e-cigarettes, they've, they've committed to stop uh, creating, what is it, the flavored e-cigarette things. If I'm the jewel company, my number one goal is to sell flavored e-cigarettes. My number two goal is to convince you that they're actually better for you than cigarettes and trick you into thinking there will be no consequences for that. We live in a seen world, but there's all kinds of unseen stuff that goes on all around us. Uh, and one of the number one tricks of our enemy, the devil, is to convince us that that's not going on. So, with that said, I want to talk about the unseen bully 
uh, today. I feel like God wants us to do this for two weeks, so today and next week. So Ephesians 6, if you've got a Bible, large print, page 1082, small print, page 569. We're just going to read three verses today, verses 10, 11, and 12, and then next week we'll pick up where we leave off. So Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. If you want to understand the whole Bible, and if you want the Cliff Notes version of the whole Bible, Ephesians would probably be the best book to do it. It's six chapters, and it pretty much sums up the Bible, the theology of the Bible, and six chapters. And so Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, uh, the second most influential city in the Roman Empire, and he says this at the end of the letter, having talked about what it means to believe God well and then to follow God well. He says in verse 10, Now finally, in light of the first five and a half chapters, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let me give you just a couple things within the text, really easy things that, uh, that you can see uh, and that help us understand this better. The first thing he says is, be strong in the Lord. Another translation, if you have a different translation, some other translations say, be strengthened in the Lord. It's a passive verb. Something else has to do this for you. Something else has to strengthen you, but, he, but you're commanded to do it. Be strengthened in the Lord. Let God strengthen you. You have to let God's strength make you stronger. If Paul were writing this today, that's what he would say. Carson, you've got to be stronger in the Lord, but it's God's strength that has to make you stronger. And it's commanded. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. The second thing I think we want to see is in verse 11. He says, because you've got to be stronger in the Lord, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Again, commanded. Carson, Lana, Ricky, put on the whole armor of God. Be strengthened was passive. This is active. You do this. You do this. You do this. Put on the whole armor of God. God will strengthen us as we put on the whole armor of God. Next week, that's what we're going to talk about. What is the armor of God and how do we put it on so that we can stand against the unseen bully? And then in verse 12, and this is such a, this is so great. He says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't, he says in another translation, our struggle or our battle is not against flesh and blood. Have you ever woken up and just wanted to kill your husband like, or your wife? And just had a day, it's never happened. Some of you are looking, so I don't know what he's talking about. Like, have you ever had a day, teenager, where you got up and you just wanted to strangle your mother in the most loving way possible? <laughs> Hope, I saw you smiling. I saw the way that you did that and you were smiling. Like, and Barb, I know it's felt that same, right? Have you ever had a day where you went to work and it was like the devil sent your boss to work to trip you up and make you stumble? Yeah. Amen. Yes. Thank you, Rochelle. Absolutely. Amen. But our struggle is not against that person. Our struggle is not against that person, Paul says. Our struggle aren't, isn't against our neighbors, our co-workers, our spouse, our family. Our, our struggle is not against the economy. Boy, if the economy could be better. Or politics, if we had the right people in office. Our struggle is not against traffic. Our struggle is not against the weather. I felt like the sky was gray all week this week, and it begins to mess with our emotions in my house. Listen, 
The gray clouds are not the struggle. That's not the struggle. It's the evidence of the struggle. But our fight, our battle, is not against flesh and blood and the stuff we see, but it's against another unseen realm and hierarchy. And so I want to share with you three things that are unseen that we fight in or we fight against. The first one, the first slide today, is we live in the middle of an unseen world. There's an unseen world, Paul says, all around us. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, the seen stuff, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, uh, the spiritual forces of evil. Natalie said this week, we were talking about the sermon. I've been reading this book. It's a really great book. It's called The Invisible War by a guy named Chip Ingram. I think I got it for like $2 on Amazon used. And we were talking about this sort of unseen world. And she was like, man, just for one hour, I wish I could see everything around me. Angels, demons, I want to see it. I was like, I do not want to see that at all. I was like, Alicia agrees. It's like, I don't want to see that at all. She said, well, why not? I said, well, let's think about the Bible. Every time in the Bible somebody saw one angel, what happened? Every time they saw one angel, the Bible says they fell down like a dead person. And they were terrified. And they were, uh, sometimes it says they were unraveled or undone. They fell down. They were afraid. That's why angels, the first thing an angel always says is fear not. If, an, if you come to church and you say, man, this week I saw an angel... I was touched by an angel. We had a great week, and I high-fived the angel, and I'm be like, it was, you didn't see an angel. I don't know what you saw, but you didn't, because every time someone ever sees one angel, the first thing the angel always says is, fear not, and then the person totally surrenders. Now, imagine if we saw thousands of angels and thousands of demons around us, this unseen world that Paul is talking about, the angels in all their glory, the depravity of all the demons and all their evil. It would be terrifying, but it's a reality. And we live in a world where most people don't think it's a reality anymore, but Jesus taught it, Jesus fought it, Jesus cast out demons, Jesus taught down demons, and if it isn't true that there's an unseen world, then Jesus is a liar. If there aren't demons and Satan and hell, then Jesus is a liar. Or he's crazy. And either way, if he's a liar or if he's crazy, then we are wasting our time here today. And we should just go home and not worry about it. It's not worth it. But in fact, it is true, and you're not wasting your time. There's another world layered on top of this one. Not seeing it doesn't make it less true. One of our favorite stories in the Bible now is a family. The kids did it last week in the older kids' class. Uh, is the story of Elisha. And Elisha is with his servant, and they're holed up in a house, uh, kind of like in an old Western movie. And all the bad guys are coming. The king of Aram is coming, and he wants to destroy Elisha. And the servant wakes up, and he looks out, and he sees the king of Aram and all of his troops right outside, uh, ready to attack them and kill them. And, uh, and the servant basically freaks out. And Elisha says, don't worry about it. We got more than them. And the servant's like, hmm? And Elisha then prays and says, God, open his eyes so he can see what's going on. And the servant's eyes are open and he looks out and he sees the army of King Aram right here. And then behind that army, up on the horizon, kind of Lord of the Rings style at the end of the second movie, he looks and he sees chariots and horses and soldiers of fire ready to attack 
the army of the king of Aram and destroy them. And that's the world we live in. The first time that we came to Charlestown praying that if God would have us move here, uh, we stood on Bunker Hill as a family and prayed. We stood there and literally like hold, held hands, said, God, do you want us to come here? Do you not? And I felt this and Natalie felt this and I believe it's exactly what was going on. It felt like something, not like, it felt like something was grabbing us. Not like, I'm going to tear you apart like a horror movie, but like there was an, uh, it's a great neighborhood and Boston's a great city, but there was a heavy sense of an unseen world here that did not want us to move here and does not want a healthy church planted in this neighborhood and doesn't want the kingdom of Jesus here. And we could feel it pressing in on our skin, much like if I grabbed you by the arm. There's an unseen world all around us. The second thing I want to show you from this passage is there's an unseen war. There's an unseen world. There's an unseen war. I love the word that Paul uses. He says, for our struggle, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. If you'll go to that next slide for me, Scott. That word wrestle or struggle... um, Here's what that word means in the, in the Greek, what it's originally written in. It's pretty, you can go and look this up. It's really easy to find. It's, that word struggle is a, Gre- a Greco-Roman word. It means hand-to-hand combat, right? Hand-to-hand combat between two forces, uh, and there's a relentless fight, not giving up, not giving up. Hand-to-hand, relentless, until one opponent gets held down. So Paul says... Our hand-to-hand combat, which is relentless and goes until one opponent is held down, is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, principalities, authorities, the spiritual forces of evil, and the heavenly places. There's Satan and demons and hell, and they are in hand-to-hand combat against you, relentless combat to hold you down or to get to a place where you hold them down. I went to a, we went to a Charleston High football game the other night, and the first half, I, we were just trying to stay warm, and at halftime, all my family left, but Ricky plays for the football team, a couple other guys who are coming, and I was like, I'm going to stay and watch. I'm going to freeze to death and watch. And man, uh, they come out right into the second half, and Ricky throws an amazing touchdown uh, pass, and Charleston goes up, and I was like, oh, it's high school football, this game's over, they got this in the back, and then... Almost as fast as you guys had made the two-point conversion, West Roxbury comes down, and they get a long run, and then they score immediately. And it was like, it became like, to me, just standing there freezing to death, like a punching match. Who is going to fold first? Who's going to win? And Charlestown ended up winning the game. But man, that is what Satan does. It is hand-to-hand. One of us is going to win, and the other one is going to lose by me pinning you to the ground. And Satan says, I can pin you to the ground. And God says, you can pin him to the ground. And it's your choice, but there's no sort of middle ground here. See, our cynicism has to be met by the fact that in the Bible we see hand-to-hand combat. I don't want to think about that in my workplace or in my home or at my school. But the Bible says, in the Bible that's happening all the time. There's angels and demons and kingdom of God, kingdom of Satan stuff all the time. Uh, for the last 2,000 years, this stuff has gone on. I have friends in India who've watched this stuff happen, this hand-to-hand combat, relentless, until somebody gets pinned. I've had friends in Africa who've told stories that make the hairs on my neck stand up. 
I have a friend in Sweden who would tell you stories that would make the hair on your neck stand up of this. I have friends in the Middle East who can tell you these stories, in China who can tell you these stories, and even in Charlestown. And there's probably been in your story moments where you walked into a room or into a situation or into a thing, and it felt like there was almost like a wall that you had to push through. And sometimes that is the war going on around us. So in the war, you put on armor and you stand and you fight and you wrestle the enemy until you hold him down. And we'll talk about that next week. The one thing that's super encouraging in this passage to me is all the verbs are first person plural. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our fight, but we fight. Jamie's not left to fight this stuff alone. I'm in the fight with him. I'm not left to fight it alone. He's in the fight with me. We are in this together. And so it's incumbent on us as soldiers in this cosmic war to get to know one another. Because if there comes a moment where I'm going to need you to have my back or you're going to need me to have your back, it would be nice if we knew the people who are going to be fighting with us and for us. And I love the story. Some of you have even said the last couple of weeks, oh, I never knew so-and-so until two weeks ago. I got to know him or I got to know her. That's powerful because it's an unseen war and the enemy wants to destroy us. And we need all of our collective gifts and strengths and prayers and perspectives to fight the best we can. The third thing that's unseen, there's an unseen enemy, Satan. That name literally means uh, the adversary or the enemy, the opponent is what his name literally means, the opponent, the adversary, the adversarial one. And from Genesis to to Revelation, we see him. He's also in the Bible called the devil. The devil just means the accuser, the slanderer. It would be like if I, uh, like Satan's equivalent would be if I said, did you guys see Miss Alicia? I saw her while you guys were lining up for communion. I saw her walk by that basket over there. She took some money out of that thing. She did. I saw it. That's what Satan does. He accuses. He says, oh, I saw what you did. I saw what you did. And he tries to slander our names. He's also called the tempter, the father of lies, the son of the morning, or the prince of this world. Now I want to tell you seven things that Satan can't do, and there's more. But I also want to tell you this, uh, because some of this is... This is not where we are as a culture where we talk about this. So I put my phone number up here. If you want to text in a question in the middle of the message, you're welcome to. And I may address it at the end. Uh, But if we don't have time, I certainly will address it this week over coffee or conversation. So feel free uh, to do that if you need to. But here's seven things that Satan is not or cannot do. Just to put your mind at ease a little bit. One, uh, Satan is not red. He is not horned. And he is not pitchforked. He is not this silly sort of cartoon idea. That idea of Satan being a red, horned, pitched for silly little devil did not come around until European art about 500 years ago, 600 years ago. Long before that, Christians had a very different concept of Satan. The second thing Satan is not, Satan is not, in fact, ugly or disgusting evil monster. He's not a monster at all, quite frankly. The third thing he is not... He is not the host of some eternal heavy metal concert for our wild, dearly departed. I meet people in Charlestown who are like, man, I want to go to hell because my cousin, man, he loved ACD and ACDC and he died in a car accident. And wherever he is, that's where I want to be because that guy liked a party. And I'm pretty sure he's not in heaven. Listen, 
Satan is not leading some eternal uh, MTV Spring Break or ACDC concert at all for the wild people we know who've left this life. He is, in fact, a beautiful, smart, cunning, manipulative, intriguing, uh, brilliant, uh, created force who wants to steal, kill, and destroy anything that you love and wreck God's glory and drag you to hell. He is not playing games. And that is, I don't want to think about with my boys that there is a Satan who wants to destroy them, but that's exactly what he wants to do. I don't want to think about with my marriage that there is a Satan who wants to destroy my marriage, but he does. I don't like to think about uh, our church, that there's a Satan who wants to destroy our church for it even really gets going real well. But that is, in fact, exactly what he wants to do. So I want to tell you four more things that he's not, though. One, he is not all present. Satan is created. See, like in, in some Eastern religions, you know, there's the, the yin and the yang. Like there's the equal opposing forces. That is not Satan and God. God created Satan. And so he is not equal with God. He is a created being. So because of that, he's not all present. Satan can't be everywhere at one time like God can. So there are demons who are created to sort of be his minions and be out and about in places where he can't be but to do his bidding. Second thing, he is not all-knowing. God is all-knowing. Satan is not. He can't read your mind. The devil can't read your mind. That's really important to know. He reads your body language. He reads your words, he reads your past habits, and he reads your actions. And he can even plant questions in your heart. That's what he did with Eve. He said, oh, surely God didn't say you can't eat that fruit. Like, he asks questions and he causes doubts and and makes accusations. But he can't read your mind. That's important. He reads your body language. So there are times where I'm struggling or Natalie's struggling and we will say, let's quit just talking about this ad nauseum. Because if we leave it alone and deal with it in prayer, Satan can't read our minds. He's not going to attack us there. The third, uh, the sixth thing, I guess, he's not all powerful. He was created by God. He's inferior to God and he will be destroyed. And he must retreat when he's fought against biblically. And this is to me probably the most terrifying, the seventh thing about that Satan is not or cannot do. He uh, does not bother or threaten people who are no threat to him. So if Satan's not messing with me, then I'm not a threat to his kingdom. And that's kind of terrifying. So if you're not feeling some pushback in your life, then maybe Satan looks at you and says, I don't really have to mess with you. You're doing just fine ruining God's name on your own. That's a scary thought. But if you decide to get in the fight, if you decide to be in the fight and walking uh, with Jesus and not holding anything back, you will not be left alone. So if you are bombarded, and if you are pushed, and if you feel like Satan is messing with you, on some level be encouraged because he sees you as a threat to his kingdom. If you are being totally left alone, be nervous. You may not be a threat. I think I've got a slide for this next verse. First Peter 5.8 says this. It says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, Seeking someone to devour. Man, that is Satan. That's what he is and who he is. He's like a roaring lion. He is not playing. There's Satan. There's demons. There's hell. I want to tell you, hell is hot. 
If you haven't gotten the news memo, like hell is very hot. Uh, It's eternal. It doesn't just stop after a hundred years. It goes on and on and on and on. And then when it feels like it's done going on, it will go on for another on times on times on. It's far from God. It's far from love. It's far from goodness. It's a place of punishment. I hate the sound of styrofoam. I don't know what you hate. The sound of styrofoam is the worst sound in the universe. And hell will be, from, if, I were to, if I weren't a Christian, hell would for me be an, entire, uh, an eternal styrofoam concert where a styrofoam symphony is just being played over and over and over, right? I was watching The Good Place this week and uh, the demons were together in The Good Place and they were like, let's sing our theme song together. And they started going, 1877 cars for kids, 1877 cars for kids, right? Like hell would be an eternal hearing that cars for kids jingle sung over and over and over. It's a place of punishment for sin. It's a place of torture place of sadness, a place of regret, and a place of darkness. The fire is so hot that it will be black for eternity, just sitting there in the dark, living with regret and punishment and all kinds of evil. But here's the fourth part. Here's the gospel, okay, so that we can, like, stop down into the vortex of depression, right? Here we go. Satan has a certain outcome. If you'll go to that next slide for me, Scott. There's a certain outcome. I love this quote by uh, a guy named Matt Smethers. If I can read you uh, this quote. If you're following King Jesus, take heart. Your enemy was already defeated. He is being defeated, and he will be defeated. The cross of Jesus has won, Christian, is winning, and will win. Satan has been defeated, is being defeated, and will be defeated. Yes, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But in Jesus' death, he is defanged. He is a lion with no teeth. And in Jesus' return, he will be destroyed. In the meantime, his havoc extends only as far as God's hand allows. He's not all-powerful. Jesus has already defeated our enemy. God has won the victory in Christ. I want to encourage you with two things in closing. I think we have slide threes. A certain outcome. God has already won the victory in Christ Jesus. At Jesus' death for our sin, Satan lost. And then three days later, when Jesus rose from the grave, the defeat was totally solidified. That was it. It's over. The war ended at the cross and empty tombs. These are mopping up campaigns. What's happening right now, the spiritual battles we fight, the unseen war, is a mopping up campaign. I read this week about a guy named Hiro Onoda, who was a Japanese soldier in World War II, and he was placed on a small island in the Philippines at, toward the end of the, of the Second World War to fight for Japan. And, uh, and he had six guys who were fighting with him, and gradually they began to die or desert. And so for 29 years after... World War II ended, this guy would hide in the jungles of the Philippines and then come out and steal people's food and steal their stuff and even kill them fighting for Japan in a war that had already ended. And finally, on March 9th, 1974, this guy brings his gun to the head of the Philippines and surrenders. They're like, what are you surrendering? Oh, I'm surrendering the war. That thing ended 29 years ago. That's been over. That's where we are now. With Satan and demons and hell, God has already won the victory in Christ. These are mopping up campaigns as Satan 
wants to win as many battles, not the war, but battles as possible and do as much damage as he possibly can. But we have the Lord and we have his strength, we have his armor, and we have his unseen kingdom. And so I want to show you one last slide about the certain outcome, if you will, go to that before we start. God has called you for the battle. This is good news. God has called you for the battle. He's called us to be engaged. Now, part of me is like, I don't really want to deal with that. I'm good. But man, how powerful that Jesus didn't just save us to then, like, he called, like, had Jesus wanted us to just get out of here, he'd have beamed us up to heaven the moment we became a Christian. But in leaving us here, he has something that he thinks is really important that he wants to do in us and through us. And so if you are a Christian and you are still breathing, God has chosen you for this battle and wants to do incredible things in you and through you. So in closing, let me say this, non-Christian, if you're here and you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm not sure, I don't know, like I'm not totally sure, let me encourage you, non-Christian, to repent and to turn to God and to be saved and to believe There's a myth in our culture of it. There's a third kingdom. There's the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And then there's the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of demons, and the the kingdom of hell. And there's this myth that we can somehow live in this third kingdom where it's like, I kind of believe in God, I kind of believe in some of that, but I'm going to deal with all that later. That is not a biblical idea at all. That's not gospel. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to repent and turn to God and step out of the kingdom of evil into the kingdom of Jesus. Also, non-Christian, I want to encourage you, uh, especially in Boston, to align yourself with Jesus. I can't tell you how many people I've met. This has happened here. It's happened with my Hindu friends as well who said, I don't want to follow Jesus because if I follow Jesus, then that means that I'm saying my grandma died and went to hell. And I can't, I don't, I'm not God. I don't know who's going to heaven and hell. You don't either. I don't know about anybody's grandma. But I do know that two people going to eternity away from God is worse than one person going to eternity away from God. And your grandma would tell you, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Follow him. Be part of his family. There is no third kingdom. Regardless of your friends or your family, align yourself with Jesus regardless of what it costs. And Christian, I would, say, I would tell you this. Live aware. Live aware. It is a struggle. I hate to tell you. Like, it feels like a struggle for me sometimes. There's some days, the other night, uh, our boys both had nightmares in the same night. And I'm preparing for this sermon and like part of me is, go back to bed. You're not going to have the bad dream again. And another party remembers, it's a struggle. And my struggle is not against my boys. And it is hand-to-hand combat, relentless until one force wins. Very personally, in the middle of all this, preparing for this sermon this week, my mom called me Thursday and said, I found a lump uh, under my arm. And I'm going to go in for tests in a couple of weeks. And I'm really scared. And I immediately thought, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 
I mean, she said all the right things as a Christian and like as my mom. So I'm trying to like pastor my mom, but also just be her son and all that. And I thought, man, struggle is not against flesh and blood. My mom gets the gospel. She's a follower of Jesus, but she was scared. And I immediately thought this is relentless hand-to-hand combat until somebody tackles the other one. Christian, live aware. The word for that is sober-minded. Be engaged. Be grateful. God has counted you worthy to be on his team. And remember that we fight from victory. This wasn't in my notes about my mom, so I probably shouldn't have done that. But the best part of our conversation was at the end. And she said, you know what? I love the Lord. And I was like, Mom, this is nothing. This is not going to be anything. She was like, I believe that. But if it is, I know who I belong to. And I know he has the victory. So it's going to be all right either way. That's the power of the gospel. We fight from victory. Satan has been defeated. He is being defeated and he will be defeated. The gospel has won. The gospel is winning. And the gospel will win. Let me pray for us.